0: I know in in certain parts of the country there will be pastors this morning that fill pulpits and they will preach, unfortunately, a message of condemnation, try to make people feel bad about themselves. You know what I believe? I believe I don't have to make you feel bad about yourself because we are all sinners and we all probably innately feel some guilt for the sins that we commit. But John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We love that verse. Well, often we neglect the verse that comes after that, that says, "Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through Christ men might come to salvation." And so this morning we celebrate together. Now I know it would have been easy. It was cold this morning, inside and outside my house, and it would have been easy to stand under them covers. Amen. In fact, this morning when the alarm went off at six forty-five, I told Evan, "I said, hey, so why don't we just skip church today? It's cold." And she said, Josh, you're the preacher. And I said, oh yeah, I forgot about that. So here we are. But let me commend you. I'm glad you're here, church. We're going to have a great time this morning because you should be able to have a great time in church while at the same time staying consistent and truthful to what God's Word says. So we've been working through the book of Ephesians. We jumped back into that last week and we talked about how Christ takes us from the oldness of life and he brings us into the newness of life. If You remember my son's story, dirty clothes went off, clean clothes went on. That is the story of us as Christians. Now, Christians believe that people can change. Christians believe that we are not locked into a state of brokenness, that that we can become something new. God's grace and mercy, the idea of redemption, that we can be free from our past, free from ourselves, that we are no longer slaves to sin, that is a uniquely Christian idea, and it's why we celebrate. Christian, you're a new creation, and here's what I know and believe, that new things act new. Now, If I sold you something and said, hey, this is new, and you purchased it, and it kept breaking down, breaking down, breaking down, you would be tempted to think, well, was this really something new? And it relates to Christianity in this way, that new creatures act like new creatures. Not because we have to in order to have a right standing with God, but because he has given us the newness of life, we can't help but be new. And so in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul tells us that we are in Christ, this idea of inheritance. Then as we get into chapter 4, he starts to give us some basic instruction on living a practical Christian lifestyle. Now as we close out chapter 4, Paul begins to get more specific he gives us some rules to live by now if you are a list person today is your day if you like bullet points today is your day as Paul gets specific and he gives us what I've labeled six rules for life now anybody would benefit from living out these rules Christian or non-Christian because that's the way God designed us but as Christians Paul says because you're new you act new. Now, will we ever be perfect? Well, no, not before Christ comes and completes his work in us, but he has made us fit for heaven by giving us this newness of life. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, we're jumping back into the book of Ephesians, chapter four, we're picking up where we left off, Ephesians 4, 25. The first rule we look at this morning is a simple one, tell the truth. Ephesians 4, 25. Paul says, therefore, having put away Falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now again, Paul begins with therefore. So we ask, what's it there for? You see, you can follow Paul's progression of thought here. That you have been given a newness of life, that the old is gone. Therefore do what I'm about to tell you to do. Live by these principles, not to become a Christian, but because you are Christian. And so Paul says, don't lie, speak the truth. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes lying comes easy. And sometimes, without even realizing it, we default to lying. And we have cutesy phrases to make it not sound so bad. Little white lie, doesn't that sound so much better? Bending the truth, um, not having full disclosure. No matter how you spin it, Paul would say, that's a lie. Now, why do we lie? Well, sometimes because it comes easy, it gets us out of difficult situations. Sometimes it helps us to avoid conversations that we don't want to have. Sometimes our lying enables us to keep sinning because we don't let people know our behaviors and what's going on in our lives. It helps us sometimes to appear better than we are. You know, I, I lie to cover up my mistakes and my sins and my failures, I think our society, honestly, is built and thrives on deceit. Now, think about this. We find people lying all the time. Government scandals, celebrity scandals, um, the news. In fact, recent trends have shown that so many people are just turning off their TVs from cable news because they're tired of being lied to. It's hard to know what is true and what is false. In so many places, people spin all sorts of propaganda. Spouses lie to one another. And maybe some of us here have secrets from our spouse right now. Well, good luck with that. You have a tiger by the tail. Kids lie to their parents to avoid discipline. Employees lie to their employers. Sometimes we lie to God. Now, he knows. We still try to cover up the truth sometimes. Sometimes we even lie to ourselves. Now, Scripture says this in John 10.10. Speaking about Satan, it says he was a murderer. Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus says he doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. He says when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. He is responsible for the great deception, the idea that men can find meaning and value and truth and hope in any place besides through Christ. Satan deals in lies, but here's the thing about God. God is always honest with us. Even when it is inconvenient, even when it is difficult to hear, it comes easy to lie sometimes, exaggerating or stretching the truth. Cheating is simply fooling somebody else, breaking someone's confidence when they've given you private information, making excuses, false flattery, oh, you're the best. I don't mean any of this. That's lying. Christians, Paul says we should lay aside all falsehood. Not only should we keep from lying, but he also says this, we should tell the truth. And that's hard sometimes. Telling the truth uh, is challenging because sometimes things need to be said and they're hard to say. Now, telling the truth doesn't mean we have to say everything that comes into our head. Because I've seen people use the truth as a weapon to tear down other people. But if you remember, if we backtrack a little bit, Ephesians 4.15, Paul says this, you speak the truth and love anytime I'm speaking to someone else my motivation should always be because I love that person so Paul says verse 25 therefore having put away falsehood gotten rid of it let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another you should tell everyone the truth but even more so your fellow Christians Paul says we're members of one another that means we be family that means we're all on the same team. That means we are part of the same body. When I give you wrong information or when I refuse to tell you the honest truth, it hurts you and it hurts the body of Christ. And sometimes in church, just like sometimes in families, there are difficult conversations that have to be had, but it's important that we be honest and that we tell one another the truth. So this morning, where are you at? Is there a conversation that you need to have with someone? Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's with God He already knows, but we still try to deceive him sometimes. Think about Adam and Eve when they fell into sin. What did they do? They went and hid from God. Well, God knew, just like God knows everything in your life. But I think sometimes we do the same thing. And sometimes I just need to have an honest conversation and say, God, you already know this, but I'm going to confess it to you because I need to say it and I need to hear it. I've been running and lying and trying to deceive. Maybe you need to be honest with yourself about something right now. But is there a conversation that you need to have but you're scared to tell the truth here's what i believe conflict delayed is conflict intensified the longer you put off that conversation the more difficult and harder that conversation will get so paul says rule number 1 tell the truth now let's move on to rule number 2 rule number 2 is this be angry Maybe you weren't expecting that because I think oftentimes in church we hear, no, 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 don't get angry. Well, that's not what scripture says. Look at verse 26. Paul says, be, not do not be. He says, be angry. Now, Christian, let me remind you that God gave you emotions. God gave you emotions. He is emotional. Now, God isn't ruled by his emotions as we so often are given over to our emotions, but God is an emotive being. God made you to be emotional. Now, some of us are more emotional than others. Take me and my wife, for example. You know, she, her emotional graph is, mine's like this. It's how it is. You know, it's just how it works. I cry in movies sometimes, and she's like, really? You're crying right now? So sad. Um, But God made you emotional. In fact, I believe Genesis 1.26 talks about us being made in the image of God, part of that creation, is the fact that you have emotions and you relate to other people. And I want to remind you, Christian, your emotions are not sinful in and of themselves. Christian, it's all right to be angry sometimes. In fact, you should be angry sometimes. Well, what should make us angry? Well, for one, my own sin should make me angry. There are times where I give in to sin and then later on I'm like, God, really, Josh, why did you do that? Paul struggled with this as well. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing I think sometimes it's okay for me to be angry over the sins of others because my sin and your sin is always destructive in some capacity. That should make us angry. I think it's okay or we should be angry over injustice and hate and discrimination when people aren't treated correctly. We should be angry when people malign the name of the God that we so dearly Love, I'm angry over the effects of sin on God's creation. Sometimes, specifically, I struggle with being angry with the fact that I have a daughter that is often sick and has to face all this stuff. I know it's not the way it should have been and that makes me angry because our sin brought that into the world. Sometimes we need to be angry. It prompts us to take action, to move, to not just stand there. It lights a fire under us to stand up when we need to stand up. But Paul qualifies his statement. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Now, when we feel angry, I think we have to ask ourselves two questions. Number one, why are we angry? Number two, how do we express that anger? So number one, why am I angry? Am I angry because I'm being self-defensive? Is my anger self-serving where... I hit somebody with a blast and oh, it just felt so good to let all that out. But I did it in a way that was inappropriate, especially for a Christian. Why am I angry? Am I mad that someone had the gall to go against me or to have a different opinion? Am I angry? um, Is this something that I should be angry about? Number two, how am I expressing it? Am I being reactive? Am I screaming and shouting and pitching a fit and being ugly? Christians wouldn't do that, right? I've seen it. Am I expressing it to hurt somebody else? Am I expressing my anger just so I can feel better or am I trying to pay someone back or be vindictive? Is it a righteous anger? Paul would say in Romans twelve seventeen, he says, "'Repay no one evil for evil, "'but give thought to do what is honorable "'in the sight of all.'" He says, "'If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, "'live peaceably with all. "'Beloved, never avenge yourselves, "'but leave it to the wrath of God, "'for it is written, vengeance is mine. "'I'll repay,' says the Lord.'" To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. What? If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Anger is a powerful emotion and it must be handled properly. You know, I learned a lot about this. Used to, on Saturday mornings, I would teach an anger management class for eight hours once a month on a Saturday. And the people there were just so excited to be there, and you know, most of them had to be there, but every anger management class, I would always say, okay, let's talk about why we're here. And maybe one out of 10 would say, you know what, I just felt like I needed this. And I would high five them and say, yeah, you go. But most of them would be like, well, my boss said I had to come. Or, you know, I got, I got here referred by some government agency, but I had this one lady one Saturday morning. She said, I'm here because I stabbed my husband. And I said, uh, in the back of my head, I was like, do not make her angry, right? Now, I say that to tell you this, anger is such a powerful emotion, which is why Paul says in verse 26, be anger and don't sin. Then he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. It must be dealt with swiftly. In other words, if you hold on to it, if you let it build, or if you stuff it down and stuff it down and stuff it down, it will not stay stuffed down. It will eventually come out, often on an innocent Bystander. Here's the amazing thing about the gospel and about those of us that maybe struggle with our anger. You can change. But it's not going to change by just saying, yeah, I need to do something about that. It it's only changes with intentionality and you taking some steps. If you have a hurt, deal with it. If there's something going on. If you struggle with your emotions, that's just work on it. But he says this in verse 27 give no opportunity to the devil, because Satan will certainly use your anger if you Let him. And I've seen it go wrong in many relationships and churches because people get mad at each other and they let it fester and they don't deal with it. Again, I'll say this. Conflict delayed is conflict intensified. We have to deal with our stuff. And we all got stuff. Rule number three. Don't take what is not yours. This sounds, I mean, everybody knows this, right? Shouldn't steal. Verse 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. A very simple rule. If it's not yours, don't take it. Count your own blessings instead of counting somebody else's blessings. Be content with what you have. Now we're all tempted to say, well, you know what, I would never steal. Well, I hope not. But as the saying goes, the devil is in the details. Are you reporting what you make to the IRS? Even though I don't want the IRS to have it, I report what I make to the IRS. What about when you're handed too much change? Do we keep that? Are we paying our debts? We incur the debts, we pay the debts. Are we reporting more hours than we truly worked? Are we taking credit for ideas that aren't ours? You know, there's a million ways you can take something that doesn't belong to you. So I guess the big question is, are we being above board in all of our dealings? Because that's what Christians do. We act honorably. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal but rather, let him labor doing honest work. So, Paul says the alternative to stealing is working. Work is a part of life. And work isn't a result of the fall. Adam was working before the fall. Now, the fall made the labor more intensive. He said, You'll sweat by your brow, it'll be backbreaking work. But I think our society struggles to find this balance. On the one hand, we have some who give all of their time and their attention to their work, to the peril of their families and their spiritual health and maybe even their mental health. Then on the other side over here, we have some that unfortunately feel like it's other people's job to earn a living for them. And there's a balance in the middle where we work to provide for our families. But Paul says this as well. It's not that we just work to provide for us, that we work also to help those in need. Look what he says, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Part of the reason we work is to help other people. Now, not to enable other people and have them become dependent upon us, but when we see a need to help meet a need. You know, I think the world teaches and perhaps our natural inclination is that we work to get more and we hoard it. It's ours. But Paul says... Some of that, now I'm not saying don't enjoy what you make, but Paul says some of that is to help other people. And I wonder, now don't let let this sound negative, because the church has done more than any other thing in the world to help the poor, the needy, the underprivileged. But perhaps less people would look to the government for help if the church truly did what Christ has called the church to do. There's always more to be done. Are we doing that? Am I doing that? So Paul says, don't steal, provide for yourself, do honest work so you can help other people. Rule number four, now, now we're getting personal, you guys. Paul says this, watch your mouth. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Christians talk differently. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Well, what is Unwholesome? Well, the word Paul uses here is sapros. And it means this, that which is rotten, that is no longer fit for use, something that's worn out. Now, when I was in college, I had a friend that lived in Overton, Texas. His name was Carson Casey. And uh, I went over to Carson's house. He said, hey, come here, I'll show you something out, out in the woods. And I thought, man, I don't know if I want to go out in the woods. Um, it sounds a little scary, a little sketchy. So I followed him out there, and he had this huge Tupperware container. This was about three months after Halloween. And he had this gigantic pumpkin in there that had rotted. And it was liquefied. And when he cracked the lid on that Tupperware container, it was like death. And I said, Carson, why do you have this? He said, you know our friend so-and-so? I said, yeah. He said, I'm gonna put it in the back of his SUV on a hot sunny day. And I said, Carson, I said, you can't do that. But this is exactly the picture that Paul is speaking of. That which is just rancid and rotten. There's no room for language like that coming out of a Christian's. Now, I know our tongues are difficult to control. But a mark of Christian maturity is being in control over mind, behavior, and what we say. Leaning on God means we demonstrate control. And we know this, the tongue only utters what the heart is full of. And so if rotten things are coming out, it means somewhere in our heart, in our minds, is something rotten, and it just spews. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is in you always comes out of you. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up. He says, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul says, instead of rotten speech, our words should be good for building up. Our speech should be helpful and encouraging to the people around us. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can never hurt us. What a stupid poem. You know, I've talked to people that have remembered things from 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And they still sometimes struggle with those things. So watch what you say. Choose your words wisely. Now, sure, sometimes our words have to point out difficult truths to the people we love that they may not want to hear. Sometimes our words must correct other people. We must choose those words wisely. We must speak truth and love. And we have to be sensitive. He says, as it fits the occasion, we have to be sensitive about the timing of when we say hard truths to people. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion. Now again, you don't have to say everything that comes into your head. Some things are better left unsaid. I remember One time in Kirbyville I was in the post office and this lady, I hear my wife laughing, this lady walks in, I hadn't seen her in a couple of years, and she says, well, hey, Josh. I said, hey, how are you? She says, I'm good. She says, you're a lot fatter than the last time I saw you. In the back of my head, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Because I wanted to say, well, you're not fitting through the turnstile either, you know what I mean? But I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And so, I thought to myself, okay, what do I need to say back? And I said, I won't use her name, but I said, Miss So-and-so, I said, I'm telling you this for future people, okay? I said, what you just told me was not a nice thing to say. I said, no, there's truth in it. I am fatter than the last (laughs) time you saw me. But that's not encouraging. And she said, well, I, I didn't mean it to be ugly. I said, well, how did you mean it? Did you mean it to be nice? Did you mean it to lift up my spirits? For me to walk out here and say, yes, I'm fatter than the last time she saw me. <laughs> Let me remind you, be precise with your speech. Practice wisdom. Proverbs fifteen twenty three: a word and season how good it is. Right words must always come at the right time, that it may give grace to those who hear. Show kindness to people in what you say. Rule five, let's move on. Forgive others even if you don't forget. Look at verses 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul says that bitterness that you're holding on to, that wrath, that pent-up anger over this person who did something to you in your past... All those things you want to say or maybe you have said, he says, let it go. Now, let me ask you this. What, how constructive is it for you to hang on to what somebody did to you in the past? Is that letting you walk in freedom? Is that giving you a good attitude? No, it's a burning fire that will destroy you from the inside out. Paul says, get rid of it. Let it go. Well, if I forgive them, I'm giving them a free pass. And it's exactly what God did for you. He gave you a free pass. And not only did he give you a free pass, he gave you that pass through the death of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what mercy is, not getting what you deserve. Now, Paul says, forgive one another as Christ forgave you. You see, let's be honest here. When somebody does me wrong, I think, you need to pay to the highest degree of the law. But when I do somebody else wrong, I expect mercy. When somebody else does me wrong, I want to see them. You you got it coming, bud. But when I sin, I expect mercy. Here's how it ought to be a Christian. Now, I'm not saying that we let people walk on us. You can speak truth and say, hey, I'm not going to do that. But at the same time, let's face it, we are all messed up and we all need mercy and grace. And if you don't forgive other people, man, that's going to destroy your life. So let it go, forgive them, even if you don't forget. We hear that phrase a lot, forgive and forget. And I understand what it means. It's not in the scripture. Now in Hebrews eight twelve, it says this, God says, I will remember their sins no more. And that's a turn of phrase, God's omniscient. He can't forget anything, but it means this, that he doesn't hold that sin against us. He doesn't dwell on that sin. And I would argue that forgiveness is actually sometimes remembering, it's remembering what happened, and choosing not to repay evil for evil. It's remembering that people can change. It's remembering that God has given me grace and mercy, and oh yeah, I need to extend that to other people as well. Now I'll say this, when you truly forgive someone, that becomes less and less something that goes on in your mind. But forgiven people should always forgive, no excuse. Forgive, even when they aren't sorry, even when they don't ask for forgiveness, Forgive, bury it, never bring it back up. Now, last, rule six. And I think this is one we so desperately need in our current cultural climate. Look at verse 32. Be kind. Be kind to one another. And he uses this word, tender hearted. Friends, the world is short on kindness, but what a difference it makes. I'll tell you a story from, from my week. I can't remember what day it was. I think it was Wednesday morning. Got up, morning rigmarole, trying to get ready. And uh, I didn't realize it, but our middle daughter, Hadley, had sabotaged me. She had taken a shower, and our shower, and we had this big bottle of soap with one of those squirters, lids on it. And she took, she unscrewed that, I think, to pour some out because she couldn't get the thing, the pump to work. So I picked it up by the handle, and when I did, it shot to the bottom of the shower. It hit, and when I looked down... A perfect stream of soap landed in both of my eyeballs. Now, I'm not talking about a little bit. I'm talking about like blinding soap. And all, I tried to get it out, and I think I just squished it deeper into my eyes. And so all day I was crying these huge globs of soap. That was the way my morning started. Dropped my kids off at school, and I thought, you know what? I haven't had any breakfast. I'm just going to, this isn't a usual for me, but I'm going to get two eggs at Starbucks and scorf those down and get a cup of coffee. Well, I got in there and I waited and, and the lady says, hey, sir, um, what's your What's the name on your order? And I told her. She said, oh, I don't have that. And So I looked at my phone and I had ordered it at another Starbucks. It defaulted to a different one. And she said, hey, don't worry about it. She said, what'd you have? So I had a coffee and some eggs. And she said, I'll fix it for you. I said, well, I'd already paid. She said, Psh, don't worry about it. It's free. Now, this was the, I can't explain to you, not only were her actions nice, but she was just so sweet, such a sweetheart. And I thought, you know what, you had to show me zero kindness. You could have been like, bozo, make sure where you're ordering it next time, right? But instead, she showed me kindness. Guys, could we do that for one another? Could we just go out of our way? It doesn't cost much extra for us just to be nice to people. You know what I think? I think when we're kind to people, we show them who Jesus is in us. I think when we're kind to people, it opens windows for us to be able to share the love of Christ with him. Romans 2:4 says this, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Not God's flaming wrath, although he is a wrathful God, I get that. Read the Old Testament and read the end of the New Testament, you'll see it. But God is kind. That's what draws us to God. Now, what if we as a church as individuals as Christians at large embodied that kindness? and tenderheartedness with other people. I promise you this. People would look at Christianity in a much different light. Those are some nice people. Well, I kind of want to be like that too. Kindness changes people. Oh, that we would be tenderhearted, considerate, soft, inviting, loving. Let me tell you what, the world is hungry for it right now. And if you can't be nice to people on Facebook, stay off Facebook, right? Let's be nice to one another. So in conclusion, we've looked at six rules that Paul lays out. I was trying to remind you this morning. Is there anyone you need to tell the truth, are you keeping any secrets? And One thing that I have learned that's been valuable in my life, and this isn't to pat me on the back, it's to say I've had my, my teeth knocked out enough to learn this, There's no area of my life that at least one person isn't privy to. There's no depth within my soul that at least one other person doesn't know about. Let me tell you what. That is so freeing to be loved in spite of your... (laughs) Need to come clean? Need to confess? Do it. Need to have a conversation with your spouse, with your parents? Do it. Tell the truth. Conflict delayed is conflict intensified. Christian, Get mad. Be angry about injustice. Be angry the way people treat one another. Be angry when the name of Christ is dragged through the mud. But in that, do not sin. Maybe you struggle with your emotions. Okay, I've struggled with my emotions before. We're in the same boat. Deal with it. It ain't going to change itself. Talk to someone. See a counselor. Go to one of those 8 a.m. anger management classes on a Saturday. Don't give the devil a foothold. Deal with it. Get it fixed. We're here to change. Christ can do it. You can do it through Christ. Don't take what's yours. Be honest in all your dealings. Don't rob someone else. That includes God. He has made you a steward of your finances. Give, help others. Christian, watch what you say. Maybe you need to clean up your speech. Maybe at work, nobody would have any idea that you're a Christian because of the rottenness that flows from your mouth. And I'm not here to say, oh, you horrible person. I'm here to say, you're a Christian, let what's inside truly be represented on the outside. Or maybe you're talking bad about other people. You know what they call gossip even when it's true? It's still called gossip. Be precise in your language. Anyone you need to forgive? Anything that you've been holding on to for ages and ages and ages? When are you going to let it go? Well, I can't. Well, may, yeah, you can. You can put a date on the calendar and say, you know what, after this day, I am not going to hold this sin against this person anymore. It's exactly what Christ did for me. Last church, be tenderhearted. Love the people around you. I challenge you is there one person this week that you can show kindness to? I bet there is. Would you do it? New creatures live like new creatures. And so, church, let's walk in Christ. Let's live by these principles that Paul lays out, not to become a Christian, but because we are Christians.